Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. September 11th was a defining moment for millions of people around the world. And for Maria Kim, it was just that. At that time, she was working in the insurance industry, but the impact of that tragic day made her want to work with purpose. She eventually found herself as president and CEO of Rediff, focusing on creating jobs for others. The daughter of immigrants, she jokes that her nurse mother and entrepreneur father made her a social entrepreneur determined to help others. In this podcast, Maria shares lessons learned from her wide variety of work experiences. She describes as a three-act play in the areas of private, purpose, and now practice. Her path wasn't always intentional, but it was successful nonetheless. And from that journey, she learned who she is and what she brings to the table. She is focused on fixing inequities in the workplace, citing that even after all the work is done, 10 million people are still boxed out of today's economy. We all have something we can learn from Maria's unique insights. Visit I Am Beyond Barriers, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Maria. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And without further ado, I want to dive right in because you have a very interesting background. You've had a little bit of transitioning from various different jobs. And um, this is what we're all about. I want people to understand your journey and what has brought you now to your role at Rediff. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate being here. Uh, when I talk about my journey, it's a little bit of a three-act play. Do you know? Like, I started my career in insurance, so in the private industry, and then 9-11 happened, and I kind of got shook into my core. Mm. And I was like, am I really walking in my vocation? Am I doing the thing that I was meant to do on this earth? And, you know, you do all that introspection, you realize, no, you take, you take inventory, you realize, no, you're, you're not. Mm-hmm. And I spent the next couple of years trying to figure out, well, what is the thing? That's mm-hmm. going to get me on my way um, and spent the next 15 years after that in, in, in purpose, working mm-hmm. for an organization called Kara in Chicago that was designed to help people experiencing homelessness and poverty get back to work. Spent another 15 years there. And then I realized, okay, this, this purpose bug, it's a thing, you yes. know, <laughs> so how do we spread it far and wide and found this beautiful organization called Red F, uh, based out of California, but nationwide that's helping social entrepreneurs effectively create jobs for overlooked talent across the country. And I thought, okay, three act play, 15 years in private sector, 15 years in purpose. And how do I take those lessons for maybe another 15 years, kind of spreading those lessons far and wide through deliberate practice? I love that. And you, what you mentioned a little earlier, of you know, you said you were kind of shook into your core after 9-11 and you really started thinking about the introspection of like, am I doing what I really want to do? And it's all around like clarity of getting clarity on, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And, and it's one of those questions that we always ask ourselves. And then sometimes we look up and find ourselves not really where we wanted to be. Right. 
So how, you know, what were some of the, what was that process for you? Maybe what were some of those questions where you really, you know, answered some of those, gave some of those scary answers of like, no, I'm not doing what I do. So what next? Tell us a little bit about that process. You know, it's interesting. When I look back on it, I think that I was meant to be here, but I didn't know that back then. And the reason why I say that is because I was born a Korean, Korean American immigrant. So daughter of two immigrants that came to this country, however many years ago, Uh, one as a nurse, the other that wanted to figure out is the American dream a real thing. So he was kind of a hustler. He was his own entrepreneur. So I'm in a way the product of a nurse and an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So in hindsight, it's kind of like, oh, no, duh, I'm a social entrepreneur. You know what I mean? So there's that. There's a little bit of the origin story that I think is kind of coursing through your veins, whether or not you recognize it real time. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, I think our childhoods are very seminal. There are, there are, lessons that we get from all of the people who are part of our village of, of rearing. And for me, I had a, a teacher slash coach when I was probably 14. His name was Terry Joswick, and he was the sponsor of the Key Club. Mm-hmm. So that's that service organization when we're in high school. So I got turned on to what it is, what's it, what it's like to be in service of other people, to be in service of the community it always stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be in that work. I just didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And when 9-11 happened, so here comes an externality, like the world is going to keep happening around us. When 9-11 happened, I thought, you know, our days are radically precious. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a real responsibility to recognize how precious they are. And, and when I did that, when I took stock, I thought, hey, here's a great organization. I, I learned to cut my leadership skills here. I loved the culture of this organization and it wasn't feeding my heart. After I looked in the mirror, after I felt the pain that this country was going through, and after I asked myself, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It wasn't adding up. So that's when I went on this kind of deliberate course to, to find my new why. And so it was those three things, I suppose, that were my clarity equation along the way. Fantastic. And I love what you said in terms of, you know, you shared, you know, how we sometimes are the product of like all of the people around us. And you share how your mother was a nurse, your dad was an entrepreneur. Um, but there was, you know, how did you find the, the roles or the industry that you, in, you know, you wound up in? Because a lot of the times you see where we have this limited frame of reference where, okay, my mom's a nurse, maybe I go into healthcare, or my dad's an entrepreneur and I do this. Um, how did you identify all of these different opportunities? Like you ended up in insurance and in, in the private sector how did that happen? How did you get exposed to that? I wish that I could say it was all these series of acts of intention. But yes. to be honest, I was a Kelly girl back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no longer called that. As you know, it's now Kelly Services. So this is a temp agency, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in college, I had the hustle on just like many of us did to, to stitch together the money to pay for the things. Yes. So I was a Kelly temp back then for an insurance company. Mm-hmm. And in that period of time, um, my family, we ran out of money to pay for my last year of school. And the boss of that company got wind of that story and said, tell Maria that uh, we'll go ahead and give her an interest-free loan if she comes back to us upon graduation and pays it off. Wow. So I said, damn, I'm going to take that deal. I took <laughs> the deal, you know, yes. was able to finish school where I had started Um, And then ended up being there for the next 14, 15 years. And part of that is because I'm a stayer. 
Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I go to places, I get rooted in them. It's a culture, it's a community. It becomes more than a job. It's like a, it's a whole culture and an organization around you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until that big, you know, externality that I kind of woke up out of myself and realized you don't just have to be on the path that you inherit. You can also create your own path too. Right, right. That's fascinating. And that's a, I love that story of, you know, just sometimes you being able to share that story, right? Because a lot of people wouldn't have shared like, oh, you know, I'm having problems or I, I don't have money to finish school. Um, but you share that story, others hear it, and then they help you, you know, it's just that power of community, the power of story. I think that's fantastic. Now, share a little bit, in, you know, you, you, like you said, you're a stayer, you were there for, you know, 15 years. Um, there's a moment where you made that decision, I'm leaving, and there's this certainty and security that you had, and there's a big risk in taking a leap and leaving and going elsewhere. Talk a little bit about that. How did you how did you weigh that, you know, risk or what gave you the courage to step into that kind of like unknown? (laughs) Well, I I wish I could say that during the time I was there, I was all like secure. Like, (laughs) yes, I got this, you know, maybe to help illustrate, I started as effectively an underwriter and kind of moved my way up through the organization and ended up basically because I was the last person standing as the head of IT. Now, if you knew me, you'd, you'd say, what on earth are you talking about? Because I was a comparative literature and French major, do you know? I just yes. happened to be the, the most intense user uh, of the customer department. The, the guy before me um, left the organization and I was interim. Mm-hmm. And interim became eight years. So now I'm on the executive team of this company. I'm one of two women, maybe three women at the time. I'm the only person of color. Mm-hmm. in a large organization. And so I, I was constantly faking it till I made it. Yes. You know what I mean? So I wasn't like patting myself on the back, like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I got, it wasn't like that at all. I was nervous every day. I was thinking I was going to throw up, you know, screw up every day. That's quite funny that I said screw up. <laughs> I thought I was going to screw up every day, but it was just like this notion of kind of faking it till you make it, um, living into the role, even if I myself didn't believe that I deserved it Mm -hmm. and kind of developing that mastery over time. Mm -hmm. And then when I found this new gig, it it wasn't that I was secure on that either. That was a massive leap of faith for me to take a left turn and go into an entirely different industry. Mm -hmm. And because I was an unknown commodity in kind of the purpose sector, um, it was a big leap. You can't just step into an executive role. So I went down in the in the org chart and and had to kind of work my way back up. So it was it was leaps of faith all around. Um, but there's something about listening to your inner you yes. that I think gives you courage in some form or fashion to hustle you through those stages. Fantastic! I love uh, that you were talking a little bit about how faking it till you're making it. That's that that imposter syndrome that we all struggle with, right? I mean, I think the latest statistics are that, you know, 83% of, you know, career professionals all feel a level of imposter syndrome. Uh, But talk about that a little bit. I love how, you know, very much like, you know, many of us, we pursue this degree in, in college, and then the roles you end up in may be the furthest thing from, you know, what you study. But it really boils down to the competencies, the, the skills or the, the natural kind of like strengths that you played with. Um, and obviously they saw that in you where they tapped you to be this interim and the interim turned into forever. Can you talk a little bit about 
Um, how did you discover those strengths and, and how did you, how, what would you do when you fake, when you were saying, I'm faking it till I make it, you were obviously doing something right. Right. And, and, and mastering what it is that you did, but talk a little bit about that process of, you know, when there was something that you didn't know, how did you learn it or how did you dive into it to master it? Mm. That, that last piece helps me. It's something that I didn't know, how did I develop that mastery? Uh, number one, I surrounded myself with people that knew more than I did. Mm. Uh, number two, I was unabashed by saying, I am not a technologist. Like, mm. I am here because I think I can see rows and columns. I think I can see how the pieces fit together. I think I was your hardest customer. When I was part of a user department, I was your hardest customer. So I understand what the customer's expectations are and how we can translate tough concepts to them. Mm. Those are my capabilities. That's mm-hmm. not enough. In order for us to achieve what this department needs to achieve, we need all of these things. So honestly, I was very unabashed with my naivete on a whole host of topics to invite more voices into the room so that we could get smarter together. I think it's so powerful, the power, the, the power of transparency, of saying, here's what I bring to the table, here are my value cards, and you have all of these other value cards, and together we're going to put these cards together and have a winning hand, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest fears that sometimes women have um, where we feel like we have to know, like we have to know it all or do it all ourselves. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Is that something naturally that you just were like, um, I'm just going to put it out there or was that something that you had to step into to say, I'm just going to like put it out there, be transparent. I don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, tell, tell, tell me a little bit about that. How did you, Many get to build that muscle, but it seems like you you had it kind of like here's what here's what I can bring and that's it. <laughs> well, it could be hindsight's twenty twenty on that one. So uh-huh. I think I don't think I had it out the gate. I think that like what did I do well back then? You know, I was probably uh, I was probably in my thirties or early thirties when I was first in that seat, mm-hmm. and what what I was great at was making friends. Mm-hmm. You know, was was just like one to one private conversations, building trust. And I, if I go into the rewind machine, I believe at that time, I built trust with certain influencers in the larger community. It was a large team. Mm-hmm. And with those influencers in that larger community, if they trusted me, uh, then they could, they'd have a spillover effect to the larger group. And if they knew, okay, I'm helping her to complement her skill sets by bringing this competency to the table, and that winning combination won, then we kept repeat, lather, rinse, repeat over and over and over again. So I don't know if I had that, um, that transparency in full blast right out the gate, right. but I think I earned it and learned it with these micro connections over time. Yeah. Fantastic. And that gets me talking about community because it seems like the power of those relationships and the trust that you built are really what helped help you. And what I take away from that is that, you know, there was a level of strategy or intentionality of like building those relationships. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because when we talk about community with women and like networking, a lot of them feel a little kind of like, about it because they feel that they, you know, they don't want to develop a relationship just because they feel like they're going to use the relationship. And, and we're trying, you know, trying to get them to shift that mindset that no, like leveraging those relationships and having that reciprocity is really powerful. Can you talk about that? Of how did you build trusted relationships? 
I mean, all boats rise, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a, a fan of that concept. And I also think that most recently I stumbled upon an HBR article on this very topic. Mm-hmm. And it talked about this notion of imposter syndrome. And, and it was a mind blow for me to read because kind of turned the notion of imposter syndrome on its face. And it said, recognize this, recognize the fact that the reason why imposter syndrome exists is because the norm was centered on a white male leader. Yes. Recognize that. And so if you know that to be true, then you're not an imposter because you were never designed to be the center (laughs) or the norm in the first place. Uh You are just who you are. You know, and then compound that with I, I just you know heard a friend of mine speak the other day, an influencer in this larger community of the work that that I'm in today. Her name is Pam, and she was preaching to all of us effectively and saying, "Recognize this. This is a room of BIPOC leaders across the country that are in this movement of creating jobs for again overlooked talent." And and she said to all of us, she said, "You are fish." She said, you are fabulous fish swimming in an ocean, so free, so vast, so awesome, just as you are. And the world wants you to be a bird. The world wants you to fly in the sky and do these flip-flops and all of these things, but you were never designed to be the bird. You are a fish, you know? And I listened to her. I read the HBR article and I realized, damn, I am just fine just as I am. And if I can say that to myself, like, how do I use that same kind of mirror holding skill set to say that to everybody else around me, all of these rising leaders that want to know that they've, their intuition is kind of in the right place. And, and I want to give them that confidence that you have greatness right inside of you. You don't need to index yourself to a norm that wasn't designed to be yours in the first place. Oh my God, that is so, so empowering and, and inspirational. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, you're in this space of where there's talent that is overlooked and you're, you know, you're, you're working with organizations where you're getting talent hired, you know, this, this talent that's overlooked. And sometimes BIPOC professionals, underrepresented groups, um, even though they may have landed the job in this organization, still feel like they get overlooked. Um, because sometimes it's cultural norms where we're told, you know, like me coming from a traditional Mexican American family, it's like me, how put your head down and work really hard and let the work speak for itself. And we know that that really doesn't, doesn't happen or doesn't work. Share a little bit about that. Share about, you know, talent that's overlooked. How do you get recognized or how do they make sure that they're standing up and standing out? Mm, mm, uh, when I was at CARA, that organization I was talking about in Chicago, we had this saying of show up and show out, you know, like that's what we want and hope for everybody. So that's what you just reminded me of. But in, in essence, first, I guess I want to peel back and just recognize the fact that the reason why this talent is overlooked is because of systemic inequities across our country and, yes. and arguably around the world. So what we're trying to do is level playing fields, not not necessarily, you know, kind of make sure everybody just grabs themselves by their bootstraps or really level playing fields and, and help companies to understand, OMG, I am missing out. Yes. I am missing out on this incredible talent pool. There are 10 million people in our country that are boxed out of today's economy mm-hmm. uh, for a whole host of reasons that challenges, barriers that they're wow. overcoming. Um, 
perhaps they've been impacted by the justice system. Perhaps they are refugees coming to this country for a new opportunity. Perhaps they are survivors of, of family violence. Whatever the case might be, 10 million people boxed out of today's economy in a time, by the way, when all companies are in this war for talent. Yes. <laughs> so how, how is that even a thing? So, so yes, are people definitely um, just by virtue of showing up and showing out, just by virtue of be, of busting through barriers and becoming employed are shifting private industry's narrative around what talent looks like in our country. So that's great. Um, and also, I just wish it weren't, it, it didn't have to be so because of the inequities that created this conundrum that we're facing in the first place. Yes, yes. That's fantastic. I mean, I, and I love what you said in terms of how is this happening where there's a war for talent, but there's so much talent out there. It reminds me of, you know, I, an old presidential campaign of like, where's the binder of women? I'm like, they're out there. We're not just like some binder. So I loved that in terms of, of doing that. What would you say in terms of, you know, being a future ready, agile leader of like making sure, you know, given that, you know, we're in this digital age of disruption and things are always changing and, you know, some say some talent um, lands in this organization how do you help them or, or, you know, what is it that you would do to stay ahead of the curve and make sure that you are, you know, adding as much value as possible, but making sure that you aren't going to get disrupted by changes that you weren't paying attention to? Like, how do you stay ahead in, in your work? Can you say more about the, the question in terms of? Yeah. So, you know, there's this idea of, you know, disrupting yourself before you get disrupted or sometimes when we do go in and we're doing work and we keep our head down and then we're not paying attention to you know the technology changes or the changes in the industry or even now right we're going into this big economic recession how is that going to impact your industry your organization your team you yourself how do you make sure that you are staying ahead and making sure that you're developing the next level competencies to stay ahead Mm -hmm. So in the work we do today, if you can imagine, we uh, maybe a little zoom out on Red F. So there, we've got 240 different, they're called employment social enterprises in our portfolio. These are small businesses, some medium-sized businesses that are uh, doing a good or service for the world, but also are, they exist in order to create jobs for talent that's been overlooked. They're in 33 states plus a district of Columbia and a whole wow. host of industries. So, and they're, and they're cumulatively generating $1.4 billion in revenue and employing around 86,000 people across the country. Wow, that's Great stuff. Great mm -hmm. stuff. And again, the distance though, between 86,000 and 10 million is yes. pretty vast, right? So that's why I'm in this passion project of not just uh, expanding the portfolio for more businesses, but also using the talent that we're reintroducing to this country to help shift again, the narrative around what talent looks like here. And right. so to your question about how is it that we're staying ahead of the curve? Well, we have to understand what our customers ultimately want. So our customers are both the individuals that we're hiring, but also the companies that will ultimately be their employer downstream. Right. Where, where's demand going? 
You know, how is technology advancing? How do we need to focus on upskilling our population in order to ensure that they remain competitive for those jobs? How are we, how are we studying how the globalization of our economy is affecting supply chains that will have a downstream effect on our businesses too? And that's part of the reason why this, our organization is focused not just on program design, like, like how we're supporting the individuals that are ultimately employed, but how the businesses are structured um, and ready to be both scalable and sustainable for the future. Mm, I love that. And, and making sure that they can pivot at any moment, given, given changes that, you know, happen like COVID, like things that are happening right now. I think that's phenomenal. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, how as you started shifting from private to purpose to the things that you're doing, when you set goals um, or like you've had this introspection, you decided, okay, I'm going to pivot. Um, Here are the goals that I want to achieve in the next year, in the next six months. Um, Talk a little bit about how, how does that process work for you? How do you kind of make sure that you are always working towards your goals and you don't get sidetracked? So what is it that you do, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis to make sure that you're reaching and achieving the goals personally, but also professionally in the, in the work that you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a friend, her name is Zoe Dean Smith of an organization called Vital Voices out of DC, kind of an international organization of women leaders. She's awesome. She's also writing a book about life mapping and she teaches this class where she brings you through a whole cadre of questions to help you kind of laser in on for these different quadrants of my life. Mm -hmm. um, What are my intentions for the new year? So I take her class. I do the things. I'm not awesome. I would say about keeping that like, you know, (laughs) tacked up on my virtual or real bulletin board. Um, But it's a great, I don't know, center for me. And so every couple months when I go back to it, I'm like, okay, at least I'm tracking. This is great. Um, So there's that. I think there's a real important step of zooming out and doing a macro intention for any given year or big, big time period. And then me as a, just a general nerd to keep myself productive during a week, Uh top of every Monday, I set a week time plan. Mm-hmm. And kind of prioritize like uh, of all the things that need to get done, here's the order. Because I, I know off the bat, it's not going to be all of it. So I might as well make sure that the stuff that I'm hitting first is, mm-hmm. is intentional. So macro and then every week I have a little goals, you know, time-based list for myself. I love that. And I love how you make sure for that week you're focusing on the right thing at the right time and, um, and thinking from the macro, how's it playing into the, to the micro. I think that's powerful. I mean, I think you know, I have two kind of a weekly kind of Sunday <laughs> meeting kind of thing that I, I do that in order to make sure I'm doing the, the big things, the big rocks that I should be focusing on because I can get lost in 
lots of minutia and feel productive, but really not getting anything done. Can you talk a little bit about um, this whole, I like to say myth of work-life balance, um, because you talked about a little about, you know, you being kind of the nerd and trying to figure out like, you know, how are you going to hold yourself accountable? What would you say to the young talent out there who are trying to balance work and life? What, what is the, is there a magic bullet, a magic, you know, elixir that you have? Like, how have you managed that throughout your career? I just, I think it's a, it's, it's a concept that's false on its face. Yes. So I guess I'll start there, you know, and I feel like if there's anything, we need to come out of this period, and I know we're still Mm -hmm. in it, but we need, as we come out of this period, we need to think about all the things that we've learned. Mm -hmm. So the world just cracked open. The country just started to hold a mirror to itself in terms of of our systemic inequities. Um, And we just spent the last two plus years looking at everyone's life through the scrim of a Zoom room. Yes. We saw we saw life in its full intersectionality. Beautiful, ugly, everything in between. We saw all of it. We saw kids, pets, partners, all of the things. Yes. Let's not forget what we just saw. Mm-hmm. This is this is a challenge that we constantly have as individuals, as societies. We forget what we see. Let's not forget. How about that? Mm-hmm. Let's come out the other side recognizing all the various layers and the ways in which we needed to show up and ensure that that prism is brought forward when we think about our organizational designs of the future. So no magic elixir. And I'd say that we're, we're decidedly a work in progress in being an employer that, that is present to all of these various dimensions of our lives. Uh, I, I say we're a work in progress with great intention to live into this aspiration of being an employer that recognizes the integration of, of all of our families, things, people, et cetera. I love that. And I, and I totally agree. I always describe it as, you know, just a work-life integration. I mean, it's, it, you can't separate it. And I love what you said in terms of let's not forget what we saw, um, you know, I remember a decade ago when I was running programs of helping women re-enter the workforce and, you know, leaders were very kind of narrow-minded and saying, no, it has to be a hundred percent full-time and they have to be at a desk. And it was just like, well, we could probably do this remote kind of thing. And they're like, no, 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 it will never work. Well, COVID <laughs> didn't give us a choice and it worked. Um, so let's not forget that because I understand, you know, we all understand we have to, you know, go back to the workplace. There is some merit in, you know, and, and value in in-person kind of meeting and all of this. But we also have to remember the, the, the flexibility piece of it, you know, that the work will get done. We learned that through COVID. People will get the work done. It doesn't matter how or where they do it, but they will get it done. Um, so I love that. Let's not forget that. Because we did it. And if we try to go back to the old, <laughs> the old way, I think we're going to have a lot of other problems kind of come, come out. Um, so I could talk to you forever. I love your, your energy and your just pearls of wisdom that you've been sharing. But um, as we close it out, we like to ask what we have our lightning round questions. And I think these are, this is my favorite part because they can get really fun. Um, but let's talk and learn maybe some things about you through these questions. Um, what book has greatly influenced you? Uh, for this one, I chose Crying at H Mart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a book by Michelle Zauner, and it's a beautiful um, 
book about an immigrant daughter and and how she processed the loss of her mother, the families, the the notion of living a hyphenated life, Korean and American, all of the things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about grief. And I read it last year for my first vacation during COVID and just bawled my eyes out for days on end. There's something central about the loss of people and what it means to us and and our, where we come from and, and how that informs where we go, that that book has stayed sticky with me for a long time. So cathartic, it sounds. I'll have to pick that one up. Next question. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? It goes something like, we can be both a work in progress and a masterpiece all at the same time. Mm, I love that. Yes, yeah. I love that. It plays into that whole idea of, um, you know, faking it till you make it, right? We're a work in progress, but we're still a masterpiece. I love it. Okay. What is one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? After my inspirational speech from my friend Pam, I'm going to call myself a fly foxy fish. I love it. <laughs> oh, um, What is one change? habit, behavior, some action that you implemented that made your life better? You know, earlier today, you talked a little bit about Big Rock. So I think you're probably a Stephen Covey fan too. And he has a principle that was something like seek first to understand, then to be understood. Mm. And that competency of, of building empathy for where somebody else is coming from first has been something that stayed with me for a while. Yes, yes. And you pegged me. Yes, definitely a Stephen Covey fan. Um, this is my favorite. Okay, let's imagine, Maria, you're about to walk out on stage. There's 3,000 people there, you know, cheering. And what would be the power song you would want playing in the background as you walk out on stage? Uh, good as hell. Lizzo, good as hell. <laughs> uh, I love it. I'm going to make a playlist with that one in it. Well, Maria, thank you so much for your time. It has been so insightful, so inspirational, and I love the work that you're doing. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, and hopefully that, you know, stay connected. There's a lot of parallels in what we're doing here at Beyond Barriers and what you do. So we'd love to make sure that we stay connected and partner me in the future. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there. And we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.